Welcome back to Soldier Dog. Chapter 23. Two hours later. A Quen Wood. There, in that desolate huddle of trees, were two of the three beings Stanley loved most. On Soldier's safe return depended Tom's life and the life of Soldier himself. On Soldier's safe return depended, too, the fate of Vier, the fate of Amiens, and of Paris. How strange that the events of Stanley's own life, the beat of his own heart, should pound in such precise collision with the pulse of the war. Hamish, his face lit in a shaft of amber sun, remained at Stanley's side. His eyes were resting on Dad's letter. Your father? Stanley nodded. He didn't know, did he? Your father. Didn't know you were here. Stanley shook his head. No, he said. Stanley, this is no place for you, even with the dog service. No, Stanley burst out. This is no place for dogs or horses, no place for sons or fathers or brothers. But until I'd read Dad's letter, there was no other place for me. Hamish stretched an arm around Stanley's shoulder. A little while passed. When Stanley was calmer, he said, My brother, he's out there with the East Lanks. Oh, laddie. Hamish was silent as together they both looked out over the parapet, their eyes tracing the route soldier might run, out of the wood, across a marshy, shelterless belt of land, over the canal, and then up the steep slope, leading to the trench in which they stood. So much, Stanley, depends on your dog. Hamish shook his head doubtfully. Jerry's all around and everywhere. You can't say where he is and where he isn't. He was putting the field glasses back to his eyes again when the wary quiet of the twilight was shattered by a sudden splutter of machine gun fire, a savage shriek from the right of the bois. The volcano of earth and debris erupted in the monument. Closer, there was a splutter of machine gun fire. But from where? Farther down the trench where the Devon infantry stood, a shout went up. Fidget appeared out of nowhere, gripping Stanley. Something was there in the far distance, hurtling low and fast towards the canal. You couldn't see a dog at all, just a gray blur, a silver streak. Hamish was yelling for James. Stanley was measuring the land the dog had to cover, the distance, the minutes it might take. Twelve, perhaps twelve, if Soldier kept up his speed, then twelve. Every stump and shard and ridge that lay between himself and the dog he loved, from the tip-top of his head to his toes, looked to Stanley sinister and malevolent. Any hole or ditch might hide a gun. Soldier was almost at the canal. The water would be thick and choked with mud. There he was, out now, on this side of the canal. He had to cross the plain now, cross it from Stanley's 10 o'clock. With gathering speed, soldiers soared over something, perhaps a dike, perhaps a runnel, and Stanley felt a vaulting rush of joy. The pulse of his own heart was suspended, keeping pace 
with the unending, coalescing step of those quicksilver legs. All his breath converged on that one body. It was only the silver streak that they saw. With pride and hope, he watched the gathering speed, the coiled back, the outstretched neck, the outstretched tail. He saw the smooth liquidity and grace of a dog who raced with every atom of his being toward the boy he loved. The going was heavier now, the mud thick and greedy. Soldiers' butterfly legs would be sinking in the evil, foul-smelling slime. But there, around his neck, in the tin cylinder, was the precious message, the message that might save Tom. Like quicksilver, soldier ran on. Around him lay scattered the bodies of the dead. There'd been no time to clear the dead, to collect the wounded. Stanley watched. Hamish watched. James, Fidget, Cook, the line of Australians, a row of hats cresting the parapet for as far as the eye could see, all watching as Soldier hurled himself into the glimmering disc of a shell hole, hitting it at full speed with a rainbow shower of droplets. He was out, back in the open, would now climb the exposed bank. There was a stutter of machine gun fire. Hamish's hand rose in horror to his face. He shook his head. A light maxim, 400 rounds. But Soldier was running onward, unflinching, open-jawed, grinning. He'd been out of range. There was silence from the deadly maxim. Stanley pictured the evil rounds on their fabric belt, feeding into that gun, knew that its range was 4,000 yards. Where was that maxim? Was Soldier coming into or going beyond the gunner's range? There's one gunner, only one on the maxim, whispered Hamish, adding, run doggy, run while he reloads. In which chink of his malevolent swamp was the maxim hidden? The machine gun gave a second savage cackle of fire. The gunner had sharpened his aim. Bullets the size of marbles fell like hail, whipping and tearing up the ground around soldier. Was the maxim on the railway line? Come on, come on, hurry soldier, hurry. Stanley could think of nothing, hear nothing, see nothing. Only that mercury thread, only the gray form that skimmed the ground like a rushing shadow. A trench festooned with barbed wire lay ahead. Soldier raced toward it and hurtled, joyous and effortless as a stag, hind legs tucked up. It would be harder going now, the ground a soupy morass. A porridge, Hamish called it, but the dusk was deepening, and Soldier could use the runnels for cover if they weren't full of water. There was a single crack of fire from the right, not the maxim, a rifle. A mauser there, right below, said Hamish. Enemy outposts everywhere. Stanley's head swung wildly. Where, where was the gun? Where was Soldier? At the bottom of the slope to Stanley's right, unearthly shades of gray and green and brown mingled. Jerry's all around and everywhere, said Fidget. Still, Soldier ran on unhurt, and Stanley breathed again. The line of hats cresting the parapet were all watching, screaming, shouting, and cheering the dog on. There were two, perhaps three, rifle shots. Where was he? 
Soldier had disappeared. No, he dropped into the dike, the flooded dike, which ran perpendicular to the trench at the bottom of the slope. He was taking cover. No, he was out, forced out by the choking mud, perhaps. Back out into the open. There was not an ounce of cover now. Only the shards of things that had once been. Only them and this valiant gray dog. Beyond Soldier, the smoldering village was silhouetted against an ever-changing backdrop of light. The sky, scintillating over the village, was hung with ribbons of light. The rifle gave a single brutal crack. Stanley's blood ran cold. Where was he? Where was Soldier? He's up, laddie. He's up, said Hamish. There, there, he'd fallen, but he was up on his feet again the instant he'd landed. It was just the impact that had thrown him. That was all just the impact. Stanley's fist was in his mouth. Soldier stopped and uttered an unearthly, spine-chilling shriek of pain. Soldier had been hit. He'd stopped. His right flank was shuddering, crumpling, Stanley heard as though blurred the screams of the men who watched over the parapet, saw Hamish's large hands fly to cover a face that was harrowed with pain, saw him turn aside from a sight that was beyond bearing. He saw as if at second hand, or in a dream, soldier fall. Soldier, soldier, he breathed. He looked up his glasses, scanning the waste of slime his hands shaking, legs buckling beneath him, his field of vision jumping from one point to another. He saw torn cloths that fluttered in the wind and dead men lying like wreckage brought in on a tide. Where? Where was Soldier? Stanley saw tangled wire, tins, weapons. He saw the dead and the wounded. But where was Soldier? Soldier, he breathed. Seeing there, on the shining slime, the dog lying like a rag doll, broken limbs sprawling. Stanley turned away, gripping the wooden post, but Hamish was pulling him, turning him back to face the front. Look, laddie, look. Soldier had raised his head. He was up, up on three legs, four legs shaking, the slender jaws open and panting, one hind leg trailing. What Stanley couldn't see with his eyes, he could feel in his heart. The pain and fear and the reproach with which those eyes would surely be filled. Soldier was moving forward, pulled still, despite the trailing limb, by the mysterious magnetic tug to his master. On he limped up the slope, tentative as he balanced on his shattered leg. Come boy, come. The closer soldier drew, the farther out of range he'd be, only a hundred yards or so up the steepest incline, and he'd be safe. Stanley was trembling from top to toe with fear for soldier, shivering too in his sodden, unwieldy coat. He yanked the Queen's Anne's lace aside, getting a sharp burst of its rank stench. Keep going, laddie, keep going, whispered Hamish. There was another whip crack from the Mauser. Then another. Mud spurts burst up. Stanley gripped Hamish's hand. Bullets whipped the ground around soldiers, sending up spurts of mud and earth 
in a radius around the dog. Where was the sniper? Stanley scrabbled at the slithering, crumbling walls of the trench, trying to get higher to see better. Where was the sniper with the deadly aim? The sniper with the deadly Mauser? Five rounds. He's fired five. He's reloading. Keep moving, doggy. Keep moving. Keep moving while he reloads. On he came, valiant forelegs sinking and sliding at every step, the uneven uphill gallop beyond bearing. Stanley's own left hand was on his hip, pressing as though to subdue the pain of a shattered leg. On either side, men were screaming for soldier, grown men, the same men who'd with dry eyes watched their companions die. These men, who'd been so long from women or children or any kind of tenderness, were brought to tears by a dog trailing his broken leg through a storm of fire. Keep moving, keep moving. Stanley's eyes were blurred with tears, his fists clenched in a prayer. Soldier, soldier. The Mauser cracked into fire. One, two, three. Soldier's step faltered. Four, five. His right flank was quivering now like the surface of a stream. He fell. Soldier's slender forelegs were aligned to his course. The tortured, twisted right haunch hideous and askew as though wretched from its socket. Both haunches had now been hit, right and left. Oh, laddie, both Hamish and James were ashen, devastated, beaten, all hopes of receiving word from the men in the wood, now lost. Seconds passed, an unending, breath-held eternity. The men who had been screaming were silent, their faces constricted. Stanley watched Soldier's head, praying for even the flicker of an ear. Beyond Soldier, amid the darker tangle of wire and weapons, a torn cloth fluttered in the wind like a hand waving. But the slate gray body, the pole star of Stanley's hope, lay still. The shiny slime caught the slanting sun in a halo around the motionless form. Nothing else on earth existed for Stanley, only that twisted, fallen body. Call him, Stanley, call him, said Fidget. Stanley shot around to Fidget. Had he seen the dog move? But Stanley couldn't call until he'd rid his throat of the stone that was lodged there. He tried. Soldier! There was no movement. Louder, Stanley, call louder, urged Fidget. Soldier! Stanley's voice rang out like a bell. Soldier's ears pricked, his snout lifted perhaps an inch above the ground, and his head turned like a heliotrope toward his master's voice. Call Laddie. Call again, urged Hamish. Stanley lifted his head above the parapet. He scrambled for footholds in the slithery, cascading wall, and again he called. Soldier rose on his forelegs, jaws open and panting. He took a gallant double leap forward, but he was mired by the dead weight of his useless hindquarters. Couldn't heave his rump onward. Stanley watched, agonized, the heartbreaking gallantry, the forelegs shaking with strain as again they pounced forward, but his rump didn't shift. He pawed the ground with a defiant tilt to his head, pawed it again as though the steep slope itself perhaps had an answer for all this. 
Then he lifted his head and barked and stretched out and again jumped his forelegs onward as though to split himself in two, all his longing to reach his master expressed in his extending neck and shaking legs. Stanley put a fist in his mouth to stop the scream of pain that was rising inside him. Soldier pawed the ground. Seconds passed. Soldier's head and chest sank to the ground. It's too much. I too much half his body weight, said James. The company of signal staff huddled around Stanley began to look away. Their faces haunted. Hamish put an arm around Stanley and dipped his head, turning the boy away from the parapet. Minutes passed. The first star was lit. The silver disks of craters began to sprinkle the ground like sequins. On each disk rose a blood-red moon, a thousand crimson gold globes on a thousand silver seas. Up on my shoulders, let him see you, said Hamish and he and James laced their fingers as though helping a toddler to mount a pony. Stanley balanced on the four large McManus hands and pulled himself up. He wasn't high enough. Soldier wouldn't see him. He must stand clear of the parapet stand on the ridge. Stanley jumped up, the squelching, sucking sound of the mud beneath his boots, enough to wake the Kaiser's whole army. No, let you know, down the sniper! Soldier stood on the ridge, all fear for himself lost in fear for soldier, and called, soldier, and again, soldier. Standing tall and exposed, the slope and the plain had laid out below him, he called one last desperate time, soldier. There was no movement. He must whistle. If there was breath in Soldier, he'd remember that whistle and lift his head. Stanley fumbled in his pocket, found the box, pushed it open with clumsy, shaking fingers, put the reed to his mouth, and blew. The luminous notes danced in a bright stream over the desolate plain. A single ear flicked and turned. Stanley blew again. Both ears pricked. Stanley blew once more. Soldier lifted his head, rose on his forelegs, his chest and head were up, and he was pawing the ground. Soldier, Stanley called. There was the smack of a rifle shot and a hammer blow to his arms. He clenched it below the elbow, half conscious of the seeping wetness, the fairest smell of blood, where the bullet had grazed his arm. Get down, laddie, Hamish cried out, still standing, swaying a little. Stanley let go his arm, raised his whistle once more and blew. Soldier moved one foreleg, then the other. He'd inched forward. He dragged his rump up. The right foreleg, quivering with strain, moved again. Then the left. Time expelled everything but the dog from its orbit. And slow to a standstill as Stanley watched, Soldier fight beyond the limits of endurance, of duty, and of love. Stanley crouched. Step by step, the valiant, trembling forelegs hauled the mutilated rump over the mutilated ground, inch by dreadful inch, till Stanley could bear no more and threw himself to the ground. Using his good arm, nose to the brackish, vile-smelling mud, 
he dragged himself across the flat ground in front of the power pit and down, inch by inch, seeping scarlet into the shining slime, boy and dog clawed their way toward each other. There were only yards between them now. Stanley was trembling uncontrollably, each deafening squelch rattling his nerves. His hands clenched a torn bit of clothing, a sleeve perhaps, that made him start as though he'd seen a ghost. Stanley reached forward and with one last desperate stretch, he had Soldier's head in his hands, was pulling him close. Soldier wrenched free. With the last of his strength, he rose, his forelegs slithering as he tried to sit, lift his chest, raise his head to his master. The slender jaws were open and grinning, his eyes brilliant. Senseless with pain and love, Stanley could not move to retrieve the message. Soldier raised his snout a little higher. Still, the boy made no move. Soldier pawed the ground, his tail flipping. Stanley's gut convulsed, his words strangled and choked. Good boy, good. He snapped the cylinder off the collar with a sharp twist. Down, boy, down, lie. Stanley turned to the row of slouch hats cresting the parapet. He raised his good arm and hurled the cylinder over, saw Hamish catch it, then turned and slipped a soggy biscuit fragment into soldiers' jaws.